We're in a series entitled, Let's Talk About It. There's certain things that we don't talk about, we feel uncomfortable talking about. We get embarrassed sometimes talking about. We feel like there's a stigma attached to it. And one of those issues is when we struggle with our thinking or what some people call mental health issues. Depression, anxiety, isolation, even at desperate moments, suicidal thoughts. And sometimes we're embarrassed to admit that we're going through those seasons, that dark cloud, that difficult time. And so we're in a series called Let's Talk About It because the Bible has a lot to say about these topics as well. And we want to take the stigma off of it. If you are going through a difficult time like that today, there's not a stigma on you. You are a human being going through a difficult time and you embrace that, acknowledge it, but also understand that God is a part of your recovery process. And so one of the areas that causes a lot of attention is the area of relationships. Today I'm going to talk about dealing with people tensions because sometimes it's the people tensions that leads us to mental health issues. Sometimes it's our mental health issues that leads us to people tension. So I want to jump in there and I want to talk about it. How many of you know there's always stuff about people that aggravate us? Some of you were like, yeah, talk about that, Pastor, because I got them sitting next to me right here. I could give you a list of those things. You know, we all have our quirks. We all have our idiosyncrasies. We all have things about other people that really, really aggravate us. And they escalate tensions, and they create tension issues. For some of you, I remember having a several-hour conversation with a young couple about dishes and, and, and kitchen responsibilities. Like, just, it was a major issue in their marriage. They just couldn't seem to overcome the whole dishes issue. Um, you know, one of the things that I really don't like that escalates tension in me... I, I don't know if I'm the only one. I don't know if I'm the only one with a quirk here. But when I'm driving and we pull up at a drive-thru, people know, my family knows, 20 minutes in advance, we're going to go through a drive-thru. It's not like there's a new menu at McDonald's. You know it. So when I get there, don't say, um, mm, ah, hold on. I'm in the driver's seat. The lady on the other side of the intercom is saying, Sir, are you there? What would you like? Hold on, ma'am. Make it this. No, no, no. Change it to that. And I'm in between. I'm going to say, hey, I don't want to be the in-between, indecisive, trying to interpret what you want to this person. It just aggravates me. I know you say, Pastor, you should get over that. I know, I'm trying to, but it's just like, I want to say, hey, someone else drive, figure it out. It's not rocket science. You've been here a hundred times. Am I the only one who does aggravate other people here? That, that, okay, all right, I'm glad I'm, I'm not the only one here. So here's the thing with uh, relational tension. The thing with relational tension is sometimes you're in a relational tense issue 
because you're struggling with your own emotional, mental health. But sometimes you actually get into an, an unhealthy place in your emotional health because you're struggling with relational conflict. Are you tracking with me here? Sometimes it's the root of it, and sometimes it's the, uh, it's the repercussion of it. And um, so I want to jump in and talk to, to you today, especially about how to deal with people tensions. I want to remind you, however, that as believers, you're not exempt from mental health issues. Uh, just because you have faith doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle as well. And I think sometimes believers feel ashamed that they're struggling because they feel like, well, I have God. Should I really be struggling with these things? And um, the presence of God doesn't eliminate your issues, but it does give a solution to our issues and His presence in the midst of it. I will say this, however, just in case scientists... And uh, sociologists have done studies, these are non-believers doing studies about the effect of religion on people's mental health issue. And I, I just read a study that I thought was fascinating recently. It was, it's called Religion is Good for Your Health by Forbes magazine. It says this, listen, for example, researchers at the Mayo Clinic, have you ever heard of the Mayo Clinic? major research institution, a secular institution, concluded most studies have shown that religious involvement and spirituality are associated with better health outcomes, including greater longevity, coping skills, and health related to the quality of life, less anxiety, depression, and suicide. Do you realize that the fact that you're here on a Sunday morning in church in the house of God is actually good for your mental health? I read another article, uh, a poll that was done recently. It says, Americans' uh, latest assessment of mental health is worse than it's been at any point in the last two decades, people are struggling more with mental health issues than they had in 20 years. But listen, according to a new Gallup poll, however, frequent churchgoers show the least mental health change of any demographic that surveyed. In other words, they've discovered it's not just people that believe in God. In fact, people that believe in God and consider themselves religious but don't attend a church, have about the same sort of uh, mental struggles as people on the society at large. But people that believe in God but attend church regularly, are a part of a, of a community of faith, actually have done much better than the most of society during these last couple of years when mental health is at a crisis. And so I would just want to say that the fact that you are here in church and believe in God and that you are trying to strengthen your spirituality gives you an advantage over most of the population because God actually cares about our mental state, our spiritual state, our entire being. And so I want to turn your attention to Ephesians chapter 4. 
I'm going to be looking at verses 25 through 32 of Ephesians chapter 4, dealing with people tensions. Now, I realize that uh, I recently spoke out of this passage in dealing with anger, and so we're going to touch on anger, but it's broader than anger. It tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, the Apostle Paul is talking to these believers about taking off the old, putting on the new, how we relate to people, and he says, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I like that phrase, to be made new in the attitude of your mind. This is about our thinking. It's about our attitude. It's about how we view the world, how we relate to people. And he says God is seeking to make new the attitude of your mind. That's about mental health. That's about perspective, life, how we see things, how we think about things. It's about the God renewal being brought into our life and our spirit. And he says, therefore, since God is doing this in your life, trying to give you a new perspective, a new attitude, a new way of thinking, uh, because of that, he says, therefore, uh, therefore has to, it's building two thoughts together. This is the context being made new in the attitude of our mind. Therefore, since he's trying to make you new, you need to keep this in mind. And he goes on and he gives us five ground rules for dealing with relational conflict. Number one, embrace honesty in your relationships. Look what it says in verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. The first thing that the Apostle Paul says is if you're going to deal with relational tensions, if you're going to have a new mindset, a healthy mindset towards relationships and deal with all the difficulties and challenges and conflicts that are around you, whether it's your marriage, your children, your neighbor, your co-workers, you need to embrace honesty in your relationships. He says you need to put off falsehood. Now, he doesn't tell us exactly what falsehood, but the context is relationships because he tells us later, he says, because we are connected, we are members with our neighbors. In essence, he's saying anytime there is deceit, lies, manipulation, lack of truth, anytime there is half-truths, anytime you are putting on appearance, anytime that you are camouflaging things, anytime that you're not being honest, what happens is you start to create an unhealthy environment, unhealthy, um, uh, un unhealthy uh, connection with the people that are around you because there's not honesty. He says, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. In the Greek, it, it indicates that you have having put off. It's a decisive action, something that you're doing. It's not, I'm putting it off and taking it on. He says, having put off, this is a decisive action. I will not be untruthful. I'll be honest. You see, the culture of the kingdom of God speaks the language of truth. 
But the culture of darkness, its native language is the language of deception. The Bible talks about the enemy as his native language. He's an accuser, and he's a liar and a deceiver. So why do we lie when it comes to relationships? Why do we lie to people that are around us? Why do we uh, embrace and cover up manipulation, half-truths? Why do we do that? Well, oftentimes it's driven by fear. I believe that we typically lie primarily driven by fear. Fear of what? Fear of rejection, fear of consequences. We lie about who we are and what we do. We lie about our motives because we fear that if people know the truth, we'll be rejected. We lie about our backgrounds. We lie about what we've done or haven't done because we are afraid that if they find out that there'll be nev- negative repercussions and so we get down the road of starting to lie there's not an honesty there let me tell you this any close relationship that you have in your life any healthy relationship that you have in your life when you start inserting lies deception half truths when you start hiding things manipulating what people think inserting um Uh, creating stories that don't reflect reality, eventually you you are setting the stage to develop a toxic relationship that ultimately will fall apart. You say, well, Pastor, I'm dating this guy, and there's a lot of potential. I mean, I just see he's the guy. So I've sort of camouflaged my relational resume because I think if he knows this, I think it'll cut it down. So I'm just kind of not telling him. I'm kind of just making it different. I lied about when my last relationship, I lied about this, I lied about that. And so you go into this thinking that you're getting something through lying, but ultimately, let me tell you, ultimately it will come out. And ultimately, when you are building something on lies instead of truth, ultimately, it will implode. So if you value the relationships that are around you, if you value your marriage, you value your dating relationships, you value uh, your relationships with your children or other people around you or your coworkers, you need to determine once and for all, I will be an individual that embraces truth even though it may be difficult with all of its consequences. The Bible says in John chapter 8, verse 44, for there is no truth in him, speaking about the devil, our enemy. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Let me tell you this. Let me just put it in perspective. Every time you lie, you are speaking the language of the enemy. Every time you lie, you are speaking the native tongue, the language, and language language helps produce culture. A certain language helps produce culture. When you speak a certain way, you create culture because culture is what people value, how they communicate, It's the environment that they build. 
And when you speak a certain language, you create a certain culture. When you speak the language of lies, you are creating a culture that is the culture of the enemy and not the culture of the kingdom of God. Number two, I'm talking about what it means to embrace healthy relationships and uh, overcome tensions. Not only do you speak the truth, number two, don't let anger turn into a foothold. Uh, This is the second ground rule for dealing with relational conflict. Do not let anger turn into a foothold. Look what it tells us in verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. So he says, in your anger, do not sin. And I recently spoke to the men about anger recently at a session that we had together. And I reminded the men that anger is not a sin. It's an emotion. Anger is an emotion like happiness, like sadness. Uh, It's an emotion that we experience. It's a strong emotion, God given by God. In other words, God gave us the ability to experience anger. And anger is actually channeled into energy. Uh, If you see a cartoon of someone angry, what typically does that cartoon look like? Exploding upwards, you know, a real red face and boom, a volcano exploding. It's telling us they're angry. Why? Because anger is an emotion that generates energy. There are times where we should be angry. There are times where anger serves us well. When we see injustice happening, someone being beat on the street and there's anger that rises and we go and we intervene because anger gives us energy to do things that we normally would not do. Jesus went into the temple and he turned over the tables. He was angry because they were turning his his father's house. They were perverting the use of his father's house. And there was anger that surged inside of them. But much of our anger is self-inflicted anger. It's anger that is distorted in why we get angry. And so what the Bible says is you can be angry, but do not sin. Just because you got angry this morning driving to church, and some of you did. Don't raise your hand if you did, but you, some of you did. You got angry. Because the driver in front of you or because your wife was saying, we're going to be late, you're going to be late. I'm late because you took too long to get in the car. I was here first. (laughs) How many of you had that argument? I was in the car first. I was waiting for you. Yeah. And so you already are a little bit charged up in your anger. But just because you get angry doesn't mean you've sinned. It's what happens in your anger when you start using words that are hurtful, when you start... uh, you know, cussing people out, when you start giving hand signs on the expressway, when you start belittling people, when you use words to demean people, when you start getting physically aggressive, then you spill over into, into sin. And so he says, you can be angry, but when you're angry, do not sin. And by the way, he goes on and he says, and one of the ways that you turn anger into sin, into something more deadly, is if when you have this emotion of anger 
and you don't deal with it, he says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. So what he tells us here, and I don't have a long time to get into this, but what he tells us is that when we are angry at someone and we surge with this anger against someone, but we don't deal with it or talk with them or try to solve the issue and we go to bed angry, then we wake up in the morning and we're still angry and we don't solve the issue and that anger morphs into something that's more deadly, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness. And so we start carrying this poison inside of us, this toxicity inside of us and we don't feel the energy of anger, but we feel the poison that it's turned into. And some of you are in relationships right now. That if I were to say, was your spouse angry at you? Well, they're not angry at me. But what you feel is the poison of what that anger's turned into. They're not angry at me, but they're very critical all the time. There's, there's a negativity that's because someone has allowed anger to morph into something that is unhealthy and toxic in your relationship. And listen to what the, listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Listen, when you let that happen, you actually give the devil a foothold. You give the devil a foothold. What's a foothold? We talked about this recently. A foothold is when someone puts a foot in the door and you can't close the door. And if you can't close the door, then other stuff can get into an open door. When you were kids, did you ever chase each other around the house and, you know, uh, trying to get each other with your sibling? And, and, and you would go into a room and you would close the door, but they fo- their foot was in the door. And you would slam it, slam it, but you can't close it. And what happens when their foot is in the door? Their hand can get in there. And if they're bigger, they can push the door open because they have a foothold. And once they have a foothold, they can get a lot of other things in the door. Let me tell you. Let me, let, let me just be real honest with you. If you are living with unresolved anger right now that's turned into resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness, anger. If you are living with that right now, then the enemy has a foothold in your life. And there's all kinds of other stuff that's getting into your life. And it's polluting your life. It's that open door that's allowing a lot of other stuff. Anger and lust are cousins. Anger and resentment go hand in hand. There's a lot of junk that's coming into your life because you have an open door to the enemy and you have to close that door. Number three, I'm talking about the five ground rules for dealing with relational conflict. Number three, not only embrace honesty, don't let anger turn into a foothold, learn to be a giver, not a taker. It tells us in verse 28, and anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, do something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those that are in need. And you say, well, I'm not a thief, I don't steal. This is more than just about the physical taking of someone's possessions. This is about 
the renewal of our mind, the attitude that we have when we approach and engage with other people. Remember, he says, be renewed in the attitude of your mind. So as I engage with people, I engage honestly. As I engage with people, I don't give a foothold of anger. When I engage with people, I don't look at people and say, what can I get out of them? I actually take on a giver's mentality, not a taker's mentality. Do you realize that the world has sometimes just brainwashed us into being users and takers? And so much of the world's mentality out there is, what can I get out of this? What can I get out of this? What are you going to give me? So that little nightclub starts to go on. People crowd into it. There's dancing and jumping going on there. A few drinks happening. And there's this mentality, both men and women, what can I get out of this tonight? What can I get out of this? But there's a mentality that, that comes into us that seeps into our soul that's driven out of selfishness, egotism, that looks at other people and says, what can I get from this person? And it's really not a godly mentality. It's really opposite of the kingdom of God mentality. The kingdom of God mentality, the, the kingdom of God doesn't use, abuse, and manipulate people. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God mentality has a giving mentality, not a taking mentality. It, it gives, it doesn't take. Listen, even when it comes to things like church, um, when you're young in the faith, you may say, I come because I get. I, 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 man, that message was really good. I needed something. People helped me out. That was good. I feel the friendship. That was great. But when you start to mature in, in Christ, you don't come simply saying, you know, I, I hope I can get something today. You come saying, I hope I can give something today. I hope I can pray for someone, encourage someone. I hope I can build someone up. I hope I can. can um, and you come with a bit of, of a different mentality. You come... Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm preaching here, but I don't, I don't come usually on Sunday saying, I hope I get something out of the message today. <laughs> hope the preacher's good today. I hope I get something. And let me tell you, I believe that the more you give, the more you receive. <laughs> and, and, and there's some of you that say, you know, pastor, thank you. Thank you for preaching the message. Thank you for giving. You know, but I tell you what, there's, there's a spiritual principle that happens that the more that you give, the more you receive. And so as I'm preparing, as I'm working on the message, as I'm studying, man, I receive more. And as you give, you receive. But, but what the apostle is telling us is that, hey, so that you can give, it's a mentality of giving, not just of taking in our relationships. Number four, so we embrace honesty. We don't let anger get a foothold. We learn to be givers, not takers. Number four, we speak to build up, not to tear down. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. 
This word unwholesome refers to corrupt communication. It, it, it refers to that which is rotten, corrupt, or of poor quality. Don't let it come out of your mouth. So not just the words that we speak. Some people believe that, well, see, that's why I don't swear. Yeah, and I, I believe that there's, vulgar, there's vulgar words that are unsuitable for a follower of Jesus. Like, why would you use that word? Vulgarity doesn't have a place in the mouth of the people of God because it's vulgar. Because usually vulgarity demeans someone or something. And I know that some of you, you grew up, and it was just, the, it's just how you spoke. And when you came to Christ, you lost half of your vocabulary. <laughs> you were like, I, this, so, this, this traffic is so... And just some of the Christian exclamations, they just don't have the bite to them, right? Oh, snap. It just doesn't, I don't know, it just doesn't have that bite that some of the a little bit more four-letter words had in your old life. And so, you know, you're, you're looking for something that expresses it, and you can't find quite the word, right? It just sounds so like kitty. But let me tell you, let me tell you, Vulgarity is the lazy person's way to make an exclamation. And so, you know, I would work on it. So there is an element of vulgarity there. But I think beyond vulgarity, it goes much beyond that because he's really not talking just about vulgar language. He's talking about the way that we communicate with people. He's talking about our interaction, the content of our communication with people. And he says, listen... Letting any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs. In other words, the opposite of building people up is tearing people down. And so he says, when you communicate with people, corrupt, rotten language is the kind that tears people down, that minimizes people, that calls them names, that belittles them, that undermines them, that makes you feel when you're around someone that you're less because there's the talking down. It's the attitude of the speaking. It's the content of the language. It's the demeaning, the criticizing, the looking for something that's wrong always to put them down. He says, listen, that is not you are being changed in the renewing of your mind. That is not how you as a follower of Jesus Christ interact with people. In fact, you should be looking at how do I build this person up according to their needs that it may benefit them. You should be asking yourself, is what I'm saying, is, is this going to be beneficial to them? In other words, how do we build people up? It doesn't mean we don't speak the truth because we've already talked about that. But it means that when I approach people, especially people that you know and you've known for a long time, it's you know their hot buttons. You know their shame issues. You know their guilt issues. You know how to win a battle and how to punch below the belt. So you're in an argument, you're talking, you know. Going at it. Then you think, I'm losing here. 
When you know, before you got married, you had five boyfriends, if I recall right. Five of them, they all broke up with you. I'm wondering, did they see something wrong in you? I should have learned from them. Ooh, that is a low <laughs> blow. You know, we, we go to the places of pain. We go to the places that hurt. As believers in Jesus Christ, as followers of Jesus, as we engage in relationships in good mental health issues here, we need to be asking ourselves, how do I build this person up? How do I encourage this person? And even when I have to tell them something that's difficult, I bring it in, but I build it on the bridge of encouragement and relationship. Have you ever said, I don't like to be around that person because when I'm around that person, I always feel belittled or made fun of. I always feel like they're looking to catch me in something wrong. How many of you know people like that? It makes you want to avoid them. And how many of you have been around people that you feel like when you're around them, you walk away encouraged, built up? They see good in you. They bring out the best. They see your potential. They speak into your life. They, 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 uh, th- there's, there's a positive sense of they affirm and value who you are and where you're going and what you're doing. And guess what? You want to be around those people. It's the language of the kingdom. It's the language of the people of God. It's the language of Jesus himself. And so... Speak to build up, not to tear down. And then lastly, number five. Number five. So let me just go over the four that we've gone over, just so you don't forget. We embrace honesty. We don't let anger get a foothold. We learn to be givers, not takers. We speak to build up, not to tear down. And then lastly, we get rid of baggage that grieves the spirit. Notice what it says in verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed until the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So... The last, I'm talking about dealing with relationships. I'm talking about mental health here. Some of us have mental health issues because we are in constant conflict with people that are around us. And that constant conflict causes us to lose our joy, go into isolation, oftentimes feel depressed, Our conflicts at home, our conflicts in our marriage, our conflicts in our family, our conflicts with our co-workers, and oftentimes that creates an unhealthy environment for our mental health, a toxic environment that oftentimes we have created ourselves that's not healthy for us. And the Apostle Paul is talking to believers about how to renew their mind, how to take on a new mindset in terms of relationships, a different way of thinking. And he, he ends this passage with a really strong challenge 
to not grieve the Holy Spirit. If you here today are a follower of Jesus and you gave your life, you surrendered your life to Christ, you bowed your knee and you said, I repent of where I've been, how I've been living and I embrace that Jesus was all God and that he died for me and that he paid the price and I'm, I ask him to be Lord of my life. We call that in biblical terms being born again. Or being a, a disciple of Jesus. The moment you do that, there is something that happens in the spiritual realm that you are renewed by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three in one. The Holy Spirit is God Himself that comes inside of you, He dwells within your physical body. But more particularly, he renews and revives your spirit. Some people say, well, I, I don't know, I just felt God. No, no, it's really not a feeling, it's the Holy Spirit. He's your coach, he's your helper, he's your empowerer, he's the one that comes alongside of you. You have the power of God dwelling in you physically. That's why the Bible talks about your body as the temple of the Holy Spirit because it's the dwelling place of God. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when you go to the gym, you could say, I'm just doing temple maintenance here. <laughs> but, but what he says is this. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. That idea of being sealed is that the Holy Spirit is inside of you uh, and I don't have time to get into a whole teaching on the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit doesn't come and go. You're sealed. Once he comes, he's there to stay. Now, the power of the Spirit of God may come upon you at different times, and you may feel empowered, but you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come and go. In Psalms 51, David says, don't take the Holy Spirit from me. Today we live in an era when the Holy Spirit comes, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't taken away from you. It's there permanently to stay until your day of redemption. That's good and bad because when you decide, hey, I'm done with this God stuff, I'm going to be a Jonah, I'm going to run, you go to the bar, you order your, your uh, Jack Daniels and you're drinking it down, guess what? Guess who's with you? The Holy Spirit. I don't want the Holy Spirit. Sorry, you got him. <laughs> and he's going to remind you that's not who you are. That's not. And, and the thing is, I've had so many people come to me and say, I hate it, Pastor, because I can't even go and party and have fun like I used to. Because, you know, it's just this conviction inside of me that's telling me, that's not you. That's not who you are. What are you doing here? And I just, I might as well just give in, give in to God because I can't keep living the way I used to live. I can't do it freely anymore. That's because you're sealed to the day of redemption, but you can grieve the Holy Spirit, and by grieving the Holy Spirit, it means that you can make the Holy Spirit sad inside of you, and when you grieve the Holy Spirit, you get sad, you get, we call it conviction, and what grieves the Holy Spirit, bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, every form of malice, when you allow that to be in your relationships, in your life, when you hold that baggage inside of you, then it grieves the Holy Spirit and you are the most miserable of people because you can't go out and party and feel 
fun like you used to, doing the things you used to engage in because you feel that, but you can't come to church and be around the people of God and feel joy because you're under conviction, so you're unhappy everywhere. And if you're here right now and you're a believer and you're not walking in God, you're not happy out there, you're not happy in here, you're not happy anywhere you go, you're pretty much a pretty miserable person. So you have really one escape route. Get on your knees, repent, come to Jesus and say, I'm tired of running, Lord. I might as well just give in to your Lordship, God. And then it says in verse 32, and I end with this, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. Because he's really saying that is the attitude of a believer. That's your disposition towards others, forgiving, being kind, compassionate. Remember, God has forgiven you much, 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 much more than you will ever forgive anybody else in your life.